you. If you have it on your phone, you turn your phone on. Uh, but there should be a pew Bible close to you. I'll give you the page numbers that uh, we're going to be on. I want to encourage you to uh, follow along the Bible. Well, today is Easter. It's clearly Easter. As we look around us, we recognize we see grass greening up. We see the temperatures finally on the rise. Uh, there are blow-up bunnies in people's yards. There are Easter eggs hiding in bushes and hanging from trees this time of year. Families are gathering at church. And soon afterwards, lots of families are going to gather around a dinner table to celebrate an Easter dinner. But we're here today because of a bigger reason. We're here today because Easter is about something big. That Easter is about something historical. It is about something that has transformed our world. It is about something that continues to change lives today. Easter is about a supernatural event that marks the death of our greatest enemies. And it also marks the victory of the world's greatest hero. Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. It is about his victory over sin and death. It is about love and life. The love of God and the new and abundant life he gives to all of those who believe. So Jesus is alive and this morning we celebrate his resurrection. And this resurrection is the cornerstone of Christianity. As the faith of believers is grounded in this reality, so much so that the Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians, if this resurrection didn't happen, that we believers are of all people most to be pitied. That we are a sorry bunch because we have been deceived and we're living our lives based on a lie. But as we celebrate the resurrection today, we have confidence that the resurrection is true. Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb was empty. The body had ascended. And that we recognize that through all of this, and as we celebrate this life of Jesus today, we want to talk about the implications of that. We're going to answer two questions this morning. Well, one question with two answers. And the question is, why is Jesus alive? Why is Jesus alive? And we're going to look at two big reasons for that. And the first one we're going to find in the passage that's on the screen there in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I trust you've been able to find your way there. This is on page 1023 in the Pew Bible. The four, the big number, that's our chapter, and then the little numbers of the verses. So chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, and here's our key, because God is love. And this is our first big idea this morning, is why is Jesus alive? That Jesus is alive this morning because God is a God of love. That he loves us, and, this, and we see this clearly. It doesn't just say that, that God loves but it says that God is love. And this isn't just talking about an activity of God. It is talking about the very being of who God is. He is love. Well, we live in a culture that we would have lots of ideas about what love is. And if I would we'd take a poll this morning and try to build a definition of what love is, I'm confident we'd get lots of ideas, all kinds of ideas about love. It's about feelings, it's about emotions, it's about actions, all these different ideas. But this morning... As we talk about love, the definition we're going to use for love is that love is giving of ourselves. Okay, the key verb is giving. Love is giving of ourselves for the good of others. 
Okay, love, very simple definition, giving of ourselves for the good of others. Now, when we apply it to ourselves, we would add one more idea. It's not only giving of ourselves for the good of others, but also for the glory of God. So love is giving of ourselves for the good of others and ultimately the glory of God. And as we understand this definition that, that love is giving of ourselves, we begin to understand that's the nature of God. That's who God is. God joyfully gives of himself. And as we look around us, we see that God gives. I mean, how many of you are thankful there's sunshine and flowers blooming and warmer temperatures on an Easter Sunday? I mean, how beautiful is that, right? And we recognize that why do we have that? And we recognize, we could say, well, that's just the way the, the meteorological uh, systems all work and the way the sun is this time of year, it always warms up. We could certainly talk about those things. But behind all that, we'd have to ask all these reasons. Why is that the case? Why has that happened? Why is that? And as we would read the Bible, the Bible would tell us that God is the giver of every good gift. We think about the beauty of creation. We think about the beauty of relationships, the joy of, of, of just thinking about, listen to kids laugh, the joy of that, the joys that we get from even material things, the joys that we have that God would say are all gifts from him because he is a God who gives. But, but our verse doesn't say that Jesus is alive because God loves, but it's because God is love. And here's, I want to think deeply about this for a few minutes, all right? So, so hold on tight. We're going to think deep, okay? This idea that God is love is an ontological statement. It is a statement about the very being of God. Here's what it means by that. God never started to love. He has always loved. He is love. And that makes the Christian God distinct from every other God, because the Christian God would teach us that our God is simple in the means that he can't be divided. We can't separate God. His, his love and his justice and his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his, all of those characteristics are all of who he is. We can't separate him out. But we also realize in the Bible that we're introduced to one God, so he's a simple God, but complex, a single God who expresses himself as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this, the, in theology, it's the triune nature of God. Tri means three, un is there's one, and so there's three in oneness of God. And we call it oftentimes a trinity. And why that's significant when we understand the statement, God is love, because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're eternal Co-eternal, co-equal, have always existed together. And they've always existed together in a perfectly loving relationship. Why that's distinct is every other God is a solitary God who has to create, who creates other things. And a solitary God isn't a God of love because he has to create something to love. And so solitary gods, they, can, they may love or they become loving, but they can't say that they are loved because there was a time when there was nothing for them to love. And then they created, and now they have something to love. The theology of the Bible teaches us that God is love and then backs it up with this big understanding of who God is. One God in three distinct but not separate persons. 
Now, as we understand this, when we come to the resurrection of Jesus, we realize Jesus is alive because God is love. And we see in this that God the Father has loved the Son for all eternity. One of the verses then... Some of the verses I'm going to, we're going to look at together and some of them I'm going to have on the screen this morning for the sake of time. But this idea that, that, that the Father has loved the Son from eternity past, the book of John teaches us that. And here's the verse that says that. And this is Jesus. He's praying uh, before he goes to his death. And he says this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, those are believers, that they may be with me where I am. Okay, Jesus wants his people to be with him. And to see my glory that you have given me, and here's our key, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. That the Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always loved the Father. And they have loved one another in the context of the Holy Spirit. Before anything was ever created, there was this perfectly loving relationship in the Godhead. And we understand today Jesus is alive. Why? Because God is love. God loves the Son. He loves the Son simply because that's who God is. But also we're going to see as well that He loves because of what the Son does for us. In John chapter 10, we see a, a verse. And so turn here with me. This is on page 896 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 10. What we're seeing here is that, that Jesus is alive because God is love. God loves the Father. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father from all of eternity. And in the book of John, Chapter 10, Jesus is talking, and he's using an example of the, of the shepherd, something very familiar to all the people in that day, and we get, our, we get clear ideas about what shepherds do. And it says this in chapter 10, verse 11, the book of John, he says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Okay, there's our imagery. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And in verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And here's our key. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to one voice. So there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And then it says this, For this reason the Father loves me. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so we see in this that, that the Father loves the Son from eternity past, but the Father also loves the Son because of what He does. That Jesus is this good shepherd sent on a message by the Father, on a mission by the Father to accomplish a task, to lay down his life for the sheep. 
And we hear this idea of laying down his life for the sheep. And, and those of you who are in church for consistently, you recognize, okay, the sheep, we're the sheep. He has to lay down his life because, because we have a problem. And the Bible then begins to help us to understand what is this problem? Why is it that we need a shepherd to lay down his life? And the reason is because we've got a big problem. But the second big idea we see is that why is Jesus alive? He's alive because the Father loves the Son, because God is love. But we also see this morning that Jesus is alive because the Father loves us. Right? So we, we clearly see he loves the Son, but he also loves us. And now we'd sometimes say, well, why does God love us? And most of us, if you're like me, sometimes you look in the mirror, uh, you think to yourselves, you're thinking, well, that makes good sense that God would love me. Right? I mean, I'm pretty lovable, right? I mean, now there are other people. I mean, I get why they say that because it's hard to love other people. But for me, it's, it makes sense, Right? And there's a level that that's accurate. Okay, we're going we're gonna to knock you down a notch or two in a little bit. But let's start here and realizing God does love us. Why does God love us? The first big idea, God loves us because we are his image-bearing creations. God has made us. He, he has made us. Uh, the verse says this. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it says, so, so first book of the Bible we are just 27 verses into God creating everything, and he talks about how he made us. And it says, so God created man, and his idea is mankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. God made us. We were his handiwork, and he formed us of the dust of the earth and breathed life into us. God continues to be the creator of us, that God makes us. He, 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 he wonderfully creates us. He knits us together in the womb of our mothers. We read in the Bible that he is crafting all of this for our, our good, and he knits us together in very unique ways. I mean, look at a congregation today and realize we are a distinct people. We all look different. We have different hairstyles. Those of you who have hair to have style, we have different body shapes, body sizes. We recognize that, that God's made us vastly different. And we recognize that sin plays a role, and so it messes some of that up. But God loves us, and one of the reasons God loves us is because he's made us. And yet there's a problem. Because as we see that God made us, sometimes though we look in the mirror and look around in our world and recognize, well, man, I'm not sure God did that great of a job. And that's because, it's not because of the job God did, but because of what entered into the world to distort everything. The Bible describes a story, the story of the Bible would teach us that sin came into the world and has corrupted everything. Everything's been distorted. It's been distorted. Like, think about um, a carnival mirror, okay? You go to a, a carnival or you go to a fun house or place, and they've got those mirrors that have different shapes, all right? So you look at one mirror, and you're, like, really short and fat. You look at another mirror, and you're real tall and skinny. You look at this other mirror, and you've got this big, fat head and a really skinny body. Another one, you've got the real skinny body and a tall, skin, fat head or whatever. And you look at that, and it's like, that's not what I look like. I mean, we read that God made us in his image. When God looks at us, not physically, but morally, 
God says, that's not what I look like. The sin has come into our world and distorted us. It's affected us. It's affected us, but, but we are also willing participants in that. And that in the midst of our beautiful creation, God, is that we have fallen and we're not measuring up to God. We've fallen short of His glory. And so there are all these distortions that we see in and around us. And that distortion isn't just things that happen to us, but it's things that we do. And that's what the Bible calls sin. And sin is this turning that we've been made to glorify and reflect. We've been made to reflect the God who loves us by loving others. We've been made not to just be receivers, but to give of ourselves, to reflect God in that giving, that overflow of, of, of giving. But sin turns us, and it turns us inward. And so the thing we want most is what we want. I want what I want. And we see this from the earliest days. If you little bitty kids, kids in the, it, this, I mean, probably, these probably aren't your kids, but at other churches, there are kids in rooms downstairs. And uh, there will be some kids playing with toys, and there will be tons of toys all around there. And, uh, and, and this kid's playing with this toy, and that child's playing with that toy, and this child over here is surrounded by other toys. What toy does this child want? The one they're playing with. Why is that? Because they reflect us. That what does sin do? That it turns us inward and we want what we want. And the Bible then therefore describes us, says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that we don't measure up. And the result of this, that we see that God loves us, He loves us because we are image bearers, but we also recognize that there's a problem. And even in that problem, God still loves us because this verse helps us to see that. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were sinners... In our sin, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait until we got our act cleaned up, till we earned enough good points, that we were moral enough, did enough good things for other people to pay for us. It's not as though he looked, he, that we have been created in God's image and we're distorted by all these ways. And he says, now, you get yourself back in good shape and then I'll do something good for you. It's not what he did. In our worst, he came and he died for us. He died for us because he loves us. That we have a God who loves us. He loves us because we are image-bearing creatures, but he also loves us even though we are selfish rebels. And that idea of selfishness comes through loud and clear as we begin to understand that. This, this past week, um, the team of scientists uh, captured a photograph of a black hole. Right? I mean, that's something in, I think it was 1912 that Einstein theorized about that. 1912, I mean, had this idea that they're out there somewhere. And then, so a team of international scientists, they were able to capture a picture of a black hole. And a black hole is this gravitational field that is so intense that nothing can escape it. It's a strong, strong gravity. Everything's pulled in. Even light gets pulled in there. Okay, it gets pulled in. And, and, and we recognize that idea of a black hole. What does it do? It sucks, it sucks everything together. And it, I'm not sure what happens inside a black hole. We haven't been there. I don't think we want to go there. But it's probably bad. But it all forms. It gets really, really tight down there. There's gravitational pull. Now, 
How does that relate to what we're talking about this morning? That in many ways we become black holes. Rather than people who give love, we want to be consumers of love. Rather than spending our time thinking about who can I love, how can I love other people, we get all focused on who's loving me. I need to be loved more before I can really serve other people. I need to be loved in a certain way. And we just, it just gets turned inside out. And so what do we do? We become these black holes. And that's what sin does to us. It makes life all about me. And so when I'm not getting my way, I'm going to make others pay for it. And I'm going to suck them in. And I'm going to, well, we crush them. Okay, maybe not quite that graphic. But sometimes that's where arguments go. And we see this, and we see that yet even in the midst of that, we've become this black holes that we just want and want and want. And yet even in that, God has loved us. And he has given his son Jesus to transform that gravitational pull. And that's the beautiful thing today. And we see this morning as we celebrate Easter, why is Jesus alive? What Jesus is alive because God is love. He loves the son and he loves us. But we also see that Jesus is alive not only because God is love, but Jesus is alive because God wants to give us life. That the Bible talks about in our sin, in that black hole condition, in the distorted way of, the, of our sin, that what we see is that in the midst of all of that, that the Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That we are hopeless and helpless, and yet God has come to help us. And we see this because Jesus has died the death we deserve. We should die in His place, but He died for us. And He rose from the dead to rescue us from the wrath of God. This wrath of God that we deserve, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we deserve death and ultimately hell because of our sin against God. But God in His love has sent Jesus to take our place. And we see this idea in this verse that we looked at a moment ago in Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And then it builds on that and says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, his blood that he shed on the cross, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? God loves us. And he has sent his son to bear the wrath that we deserve and we recognize in the midst of this as well that that jesus is alive that he died to rescue us from the wrath of god but he also rose to give us new life and a new love he rose from the dead to transform us and, and turn your bibles with me to page number there and the, this is second corinthians chapter five page 966 in your pew bible and these are verses, these particular verses are ones I would encourage you, if they're not underlined in your Bible, you can underline them. Frankly, if you're using a pew Bible, you can underline it in that too because it needs to be underlined. Significant verses that help us to understand what has Jesus done for us, that he has died and rose again to give us life. John chapter 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, if anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, 
think about our big picture, what we're talking about. Okay, God is love. God created us out of his love that we are image bearers. And yet in that image bearing, what has happened? We were created to be giving of love like God is, but we turn to be the black holes and we want to be consumers of love. What is the result of that? We are dead in our trespasses and sins and that makes us old. What does this say? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, for all of those who will call on the name of the Lord, who will trust Him, were made new, and now we're in Christ. And it says, those who are in Christ, that we are new. New creations. Brand new. Old is gone. Sin washed away by the blood of Jesus. Scrubbed away. Sin, shame, guilt. All that's gone. Jesus takes it all when we turn and trust Him. We become brand new creatures. And these brand new creatures, God wants to transform us from these black hole individuals. Look what it says up a few verses earlier in verses 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. You're like, well, hold on. I thought we were just talking about because of our sin, the love of self controls us. Right. But now we're made new. And when we're made new, there's a new love that controls us. And what is this love? It's the love of Christ. Well, why does the love of Christ control us? It says this, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all died. Why am I controlled by the love of Jesus? Because he's loved me. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he died for us. He took our place of punishment so we could have new life. He's done that. Now, it goes on and says in verse 15, And he died for all, so it's telling us a little more, so that those who live might no longer live for who? Themselves. What's our problem? We live for ourselves. Black hole imagery. But Jesus died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus has died. He is risen to give us new life and to transform us. What's that transformation look like? I go from being somebody who lives for myself, this black hole individual that sucks everything. It's all about me to now I reflect the image of God in a better way, in a clearer way. And now, rather than it's all about me, it becomes about God and others. So rather than being over here in this black hole that sucks everything out, we're made light. That Jesus, He is the light of the world. And now we, when we believe, we become vessels of light, that we are beneficial to others, that we are good for others, that we love them, we're doing good. And now there's something flowing out of this, and it says it's the love of God that flows from us. He has loved us, and now we love. And as we love, people are, we're transformed, and we're helping others. And we think about these two kind of individuals, living for myself, living for God. Living for myself because I love me first and most. Living, living for God because I love Him first and most. And why would I love Him first and most? Because He has come and He's taken my sin while I'm a rebel, died on the cross, cleansed my sin, made me new, and saved me for eternity with Him. That's what He's done for us. And this morning, as we consider what Jesus has done for us, this morning, when you came in the auditorium, you should have received two nails. Okay, if you didn't get nails, there's some more up here. But did most of you get nails? 
Get your two nails. Okay, here's what I want the nails to help you to think about. This message this morning. Because what we understand is Easter is all about love and life. Love and life. And so here's the idea. This first nail, I want us to be thinking, this first nail represents what God has done for us. In many ways, this first nail says to us, Jesus says, I have loved you by dying for you. And we understand the nail that pierced the hands of Jesus, that he opened his hands to receive the death that we deserve. This is the gospel. Jesus came for us. But I want you to think this second nail to represent this is a question Jesus asks us. Will you love me by dying to you? So the two questions, Jesus says, I have loved you by dying for you. And now he asks us the questions, will you love me by dying to you? To put a nail in self, in the blood of Jesus, this black hole self, I'm going to put that to death because I'm going to live for Jesus because of what he has done for me. And a verse that would capture this big idea of these two nails, I believe, is Galatians 2.20. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is now no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The two nails, Jesus has died for me. The second nail, will I die to me? Jesus died for us so that we would live for him. And as we consider that this morning, I just want to encourage you to examine yourself. And as we gather on this Easter, there, there, I want you to think about what's the next step. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song. We're going to leave this auditorium. And, and, and then what? I want, to, I want to give you a little bit of direction. And this is on the bottom of your, your notes. Okay, so don't put it all away yet. Okay, don't put it all away. I hear the shuffling. Okay. How do you respond? Well, for some of you this morning then I would encourage you that it would be a time for you to turn to Jesus. That it's time for you to surrender to the love of Jesus. God is helping you to understand that you are a helpless sinner and that Jesus alone can forgive you, cleanse you, and make you new. To make you a beloved son or daughter. For some of you, today would be the day to say, today on Easter, on 2019, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. I believe what he has done, and I'm going to commit myself to living for him. And I would encourage, if that's you today, we would rejoice. And if you will talk more about that, we'll be around and love to talk with you about that. But for many of you this morning, some of you would say this, maybe it's time for you to return to Jesus. And maybe you'd say this, that I've drifted from him, I've known him, but I've gotten away, and it's time to come back. That you would say, it's Easter in 2019. Today I'm going to confess that I have strayed and I am going to ask for forgiveness and recommit myself to following Jesus. And I pray that be some of you today. For others of you today, it would be this, that I'm going to pick up my pace. That you would say that I may not, I'm not in a bad place in my relationship with God, but I need to step up my commitment. 
then I need to step up my commitment. Jesus has loved me, has loved me, and I want to show my love to him by serving him in greater ways. Or then one final one, for many of you, I know this is where you are, that I'm going to keep pressing on, that I'm thankful where God has me, and I will plan to press on and faithfully serve him and reach out to others. I would just ask you this morning, where are you this morning? Now, there's probably one other option up there that was not up there. They just say, I'm not there yet. We understand that. And we would love to have interaction with you. Send us an email. Send us a text. We'd love to help move you, help you to think through some things you may be struggling with. But what we realize this morning is that we have a Savior, that Jesus is alive. And He is alive for these two big reasons. He is alive because God is love. And He is alive to give us life. Have you surrendered to Him? Are you living for Him? Will you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us, that you are a God who is love. And Father, we thank you that you have loved us, not not only in in an abstract way, but you have loved us by giving your Son, Jesus, whom you've loved. And Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning and you would help us all to be examining ourselves and we would look at this Easter and that we would look at it as a time to, to, to get a clear focus on you and to consider how we're going to live in response to what you've done for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God, because Jesus lives, we can press on. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.